Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. If you're interested in more information about our church, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church. All right, we're going to be in the uh, book of Philippians, Philippians chapter number two. This week is a uh, very important week for our nation, as many of you know, and uh, I encourage you that uh, you need to be in prayer, um, praying for our nation that uh, God would uh, put the uh, right leaders in place that need to be there. And uh, we have to remember that since God is sovereign, he is in control of everything. He sets up kings, he takes down kings, he turns uh, the king's heart whithersoever he wants. And uh, so we need to be in prayer, um, seeking God's direction uh, for all those things. And I encourage you to do that. Um, last week here, we, we looked at a, a really interesting verse here about uh, grumbling and complaining, disputing. And I see that you came back this week. So <laughs> hopefully you uh, went home, nursed your wounds. Um, but today I'm going to rip the Band-Aid off just a little bit more, Okay and uh, hopefully it'll, it'll help you and us as believers in Christ to learn what's important in life as, as, uh, as followers of Christ, that uh, we need to be being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And uh, so we looked at this whole thing about uh, complaining and uh, as God is at work in us uh, to do his uh, good work and will, um, we're not supposed to be grumbling and complaining about the kind of work that God is bringing into our lives, and we're supposed to uh, have the right type of attitude with that, with joy. And uh, this next set of verses we're going to look at here in verses 15 and 16 is going to help us understand uh, why we shouldn't have that attitude of complaining. And I think when you see these things, it's uh, going to be very helpful to you. So this is what I'd like for, to, for you to take away with you uh, today. Uh, when I am tempted to complain, remember what my purpose in life is. When I'm tempted to complain, remember what my purpose in life is. So let's take note here, a few, few things here out of the word of God. Uh, first of all, to be blameless and innocent. So we have here verse number 15. Look what he says here. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. So we're supposed to do all things without complaint, with, with grumbling or disputing. Why? So that we may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. Now you see those two words beginning in verse number 15, that you starts with us, starts with us. So God is telling us something here that as we're working out our salvation, that we're having the right attitude in that. And then he says that you, us, may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. That you, it starts with us. And he says that you may be. Another way that we can read this is in order that or uh, with the result that or given the purpose that. In order that you, what? Well, that you would be blameless. So we are to be a blameless, innocent, above reproach child of God. That's how we're supposed to be living our lives. Uh, and when you tell people that you're a Christian, that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, 
what should be expected of you that you would be blameless, innocent, a child of God without blemish. You're above reproach. And that's how Christians are supposed to be living their lives. And uh, because of the salvation, we are called to be all that a child of God should be. So in other words, be what you are. If you claim to know Christ, then be a Christian. Live like a Christian, act like a Christian, talk like a Christian. Be what you are. Uh, in Ephesians 5.1, Paul says, be imitators of God, beloved children. And so if God is your father, then what we're supposed to be doing is we're supposed to be imitating him. And uh, he tells us this, that we are supposed to be blameless, innocent children of God without blemish. So if you are a child of God, then live the way a child of God should live, manifesting the character of God. And one way that we do that is what? By not complaining. Look here again at verse number 14. Doing all things without grumbling or disputing in order that you may prove yourselves to be, in order that you may be calm. I believe here is the process. This is a growth. This is our sanctification in Christ. Notice what he says. He doesn't say that you, that you are blameless and innocent. He says that you may be blameless and innocent. It's a process of sanctification and growth in Christ. And so as we're learning more and more about who God is, and we're learning what God wants for our lives, desires for our lives, and as he's bringing these things into our lives, and we're working them out without grumbling or disputing, what is doing is there's a sanctification process that's happening, and we are becoming blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. And so this is a sanctification process as we're working those things out as God is working them in us as we looked at uh, verses 12 and 13 as for as God who works in you both to uh, will and to work of his good pleasure. And so it takes work, it takes striving, it takes being a, uh, a disciple, having discipline, it takes sacrifice. I was talking to an individual earlier this week uh, and uh, as we were discussing some things about sanctification, uh, it was kind of like a light bulb. And that light bulb moment went on in their head and uh, they said, but it's hard. I said, exactly. Christian life is no picnic. It's hard. It's difficult because we have to be willing to put forward the effort uh, to allow God to be at work in us. It takes work and striving. But we can live this way because God told us that we can. That's why he says it is God is work in you, both to work and to will of his good pleasure. So we can do it. And so we're not to complain in order that that process may work so that we will be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, uh, reproach. We won't have that reproach, above reproach. Now look at these two words here in verse number 15. Look what he uses here. He says, blameless, innocent, and then he uses the word blemish. Blameless, innocent, blemish. Now, uh, both the word blemish and uh, blameless cover the idea of, of, of moral purity, okay? Blameless simply means a life that can't be criticized. There's nothing for which you can be held responsible by, by way of sin, evil, wickedness. It's a life without blame. 
And this is what God desires for our lives. He's saying, I want you to live this way so in order that you would be blameless, so don't complain, so that way you will be blameless, that you could not be criticized. Um, and so it's a life that has no blemish, no blot on it, no sinful stain which people can discern and see in our lives. The word innocent here has to do with being pure. It means unmixed, uh, unadulterated or undefiled. Uh, for some of you that may know things about metals, you know how you can combine certain metals to make another metal, right? Like what's brass made out of? Copper and what? Bronze, okay. And uh, so you have, you have these different metals that are, that are put together to make a metal. And he's saying here, I want you to be innocent. In other words, unadulterated. The fact that there's no mixture of things there, that you're pure. And so he's saying that your life is to be a life which cannot be criticized for sin, which is pure and undefiled and unadulterated, unmixed with evil. And this is how we're to be living. This is what God desires for our lives, that we're to be living this way, to be blameless and innocent. And it's a life that reflects that we are children of God. That's what he says. And she may be blameless and innocent, what? Children of God. And so that's God's desire for his people, uh, that their character and their conduct should be so pure that they cannot justly be accused and that they are above criticism and that is legitimate. There's no foreign element in their life, that they're living the right type of life that God desires. Then we have this other word here. Look at this word, blemish, without blemish. This means above reproach, faultless, flawless, spotless. Um, in the Old Testament times when they would bring forth the sacrifice into the, uh, to the tabernacle there, they would have the, uh, an animal and it was to be without blemish. It couldn't come in there with a lame leg or some sickness or an illness. It had to be pure. It had to be without blemish. And that's the idea here is God is searching and he's, he's digging into our lives and uh, he wants us to be found without blemish. And so really three ways he's saying the same thing, harmless, blameless, flawless, uh, faultless, sinless, pure. And that's what he wants. Why? Because here's the key, children of God. You are to be becoming the proper kind of child of God. Now, most of you that have children or have raised children, you know this to be true that uh, you know, your child is acting up or doing something and that's a reflection on who? Us as the parents, right? And so we don't want them acting that way. And so what do we do? We try to train them and instruct them. Uh, you know, we, we instruct them in the home of how they're supposed to act out in public, right? And so it's a reflection on us. And it's the same thing. The way that we live our lives is a reflection of our heavenly father because we are to be becoming, we are these children of God. We're supposed to be working at it, working these things out, being blameless and pure um, and innocent. And this is why understanding sanctification is so important because once we're saved, we're to be working out that salvation, becoming the people that God saved us to be moment by moment, day by day, every single time, degree by degree. That's what uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, for we behold the glory of the Lord. We are changed 
uh, by the Lord. And so it's this process of sanctification that takes, uh, that takes place. And so in other words, living the right kind of life uh, that would re- rightly represent God. I mean, do we live that way? Um, that's the whole thing here about doing all things without grumbling or disputing. And so when we grumble, when we complain about things, what we're doing is we're putting forward a reflection of how, uh, how we think of God and how, how we are living a life that is supposed to be pure and blameless without, uh, without blemish. It's supposed to be innocent. And it's a reflection of that. And so if God is your father, and we're his child, then we are to be truly God's children. We're supposed to live the right type of way. In Romans 12, uh, the Bible tells us that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And so that's the whole idea there. So we got to get a hold of this. Who do you belong to? Who owns you? Whose name do you bear? Whose identity do you share? Whose life do you share? And it should be the very life of God. And so every believer needs to live a life in consistency with who he is. In 2 Peter 3.14 gives us a good idea of living like children of God. In chapter three, Peter is reminding us here about uh, the second coming of Christ. And in verse 14, he says this, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, In other words, since you look for the coming day of the Lord, the the day when Christ is gonna come, since you look for these things, he says, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. In other words, if you know Christ is coming, if you know his coming is imminent, then you should be striving to living right. And that's the idea, right? Christ is returning and he's coming. And if Christ is coming, then we should be striving to live the right type of life. I can remember several times when I was growing up, uh, we had a, uh, parents gave us like chores to do, the house. And uh, we would get home from uh, school, probably around uh, 3, 3.30. And my parents, uh, my dad usually didn't get home till probably around 5. My mom got home probably around 6. And uh, what we were supposed to do is we we're supposed to have those chores done. I mean, we knew mom and dad were coming. And what would we do? Boy, we were lazy. We'd just kind of sit around, do nothing. You know, we're watching TV, whatever. And then we hear the truck pull up. Oh, oh, man. All of a sudden, man, we're flying through that house, putting dishes in the dishwasher and trying to hurry up and clean up, right? Here comes dad walking through the door. What have you been doing, right? We know Christ is returning, And so we don't wanna be caught off guard. We need to be striving, living a life so that we would be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And uh, so we are, because we are children of God, we need to live that. And so uh, complaining is living a life that is inconsistent with bearing the name of Christ. And so that's why we need to stop complaining. And so if you're a complainer, a grumbler, a gripler, a bellyacher from everything from, you know, Um, people driving crazy to that person did that, this person did that. You're not living a life that is consistent with what uh, scripture tells us to do. And so by complaining, uh, you've distorted the picture of uh, what some people should be seeing. 
to the regarding of the child of God. We're not living like children of God. So our purpose is to be blameless and innocent. Here's the second thing, to shine as a light. To shine as a light. So here's the second purpose here, is to shine as a light. Why did God leave us here after we are saved? I mean, if after we're saved, I mean, wouldn't it be easier just for God to just take us right out? Boom, done, right? No, God left us here for a reason, a purpose. And that's to shine as a light. Um, And it's to be a light to the lost. And if there was ever a good reason why we shouldn't complain, it would be for the sake of the lost. Look here again at verse number 15. Look what he says here. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So not only are we to be living consistent lives as a child of God, we're supposed to be pure and blameless, innocent, above reproach, but we are to be living in such a way in this world that we appear as lights, is what he says here. I want you to see how, by not complaining, how it affects those around us, because look what he says here. Look what he says. Look, he says, what does he mean here by shining as lights in the world? Who are we lights to? He says, of a crooked and twisted generation. Those that are without, those that don't know Christ. And so I want you to see how by not complaining, how it affects those that are around us. What does he mean by shining his lights in the world? We're lights to the unsaved, those that do not know Christ. Those that are of the crooked and perverse, twisted generation. And so this is really the heart of the matter about our witness before those that do not know Christ. That's why it's so imperative that we don't complain because it's a reflection of us saying, we're a child of God, but look what we're doing. And we're supposed to be shining as lights. I want want you to see something very interesting here about his shining as lights. Look what he says here, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Now that's a rather interesting phrase, is it not? perverse and crooked generation. Interesting enough, we actually find this phrase used in the Old Testament. We find it in Deuteronomy chapter 32, five. And there Moses is speaking about apostate Israel because of the way that they were living. He's saying, look, you guys are nothing but apostates and you are a crooked and perverse generation. And Paul actually borrows that phrase and uses it and applies it here to believers and says, look, you need to be living a life above reproach because we're living in a generation that is twisted and crooked. And so Paul is trying to teach us something here. And I think it's very important to understand that, that he's defining the society of the world in which we as believers live in, that it's twisted and it's crooked, it's perverse. Now, there's no doubt that we are living in this type of generation. I don't think I need to go on and on and on about uh, the kind of nonsense that we see uh, in our generation today. I mean, let's face it. The generation that you guys grew up in is not the same generation that we see today. And I think it could be said of even those that uh, even before you, that the generation that they grew up in is not the same generation that they grew up in. What's happening? It's getting increasingly evil. It's not getting better and better and better as some uh, misguided Christians believe. But 
the generation, the world around us is getting darker. It's getting more perverse, more crooked. It's getting more twisted is what uh, Paul says here. And so it's getting worse and worse and worse. Notice what Paul says here. It says, we are in what? The midst of it. We're living in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And there we are. We're supposed to be lights in the world, shining as lights in this world in a crooked and twisted. We're living in the midst of it. And it is a world of God rejectors. It is a world of Christ haters. And it's a tragic world, morally warped, spiritually perverted. It rejects God's message of salvation. And we're living in the midst of that. Take note of these two words that he uses here to describe this generation. He says it's crooked and perverse. Crooked simply means to be curved or bent out of shape. It describes something that is out of proper alignment. How many of you have gone to the chiropractor before? What does he do or she do? <laughs> right? Brings it back into alignment. And so this world here has deviated from the standard of God's truth. It's crooked. It's no longer straight. It's crooked. Proverbs 2.15 describes the society of this world in these terms. It says their paths are crooked and they are devious in their ways. Isaiah 53.6 puts it this way. All we like sheep have gone what? Astray. We've strayed away from the straight path. We've gone crooked. We're bent. And there's a great deception of man. He is... Uh, He's crooked, he's out of alignment, he's deviated from God's truth, from God's word, and uh, they've moved away from the line of righteousness. Then we have an even stronger word here, and it's this word perverse. This word means to be severely twisted or severely distorted. So man has deviated from the path, and in the deviation, he's then become severely twisted and severely distorted. I was talking to uh, Jeff the other day and uh, he said somebody hit his truck. I don't know what it is about Chevy S10s getting hit, but evidently there's something going on with that. But uh, he thought it was just a little bumper thing, right? I mean, just hit the bumper. But uh, now he's finding out there's been some twisting going on that has happened because of that. And so because of man, because they are crooked, now they've become severely twisted in what they do and how they live and how they act. They become twisted and distorted. So we got a pretty good description of what the world is like about those that are without Christ or like. They're twisted and they're distorted. They're crooked. And Paul describes this generation, fallen man who has deviated from the path of righteousness and they've deviated from the plan of God. They become twisted and perverted. Now, You'll notice here that it says in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And then he says this, among you whom you shine as lights in the world. So think about that. Here we are, we're living in this twisted, crooked generation. It's perverse, it's twisted. And yet he says, among you whom you shine in the midst, you're shining in the midst of them as lights in the world. So in a sense, 
this idea of generation and the world go together. And uh, we have this idea, this sinful system in which they think and by which they operate their lives and conduct their behavior. It's twisted, it's, it's, it's perverse, and we are to be shining as lights unto them. And uh, we see this more and more. It's getting more and more twisted and crooked and perverted and twisted and all that stuff. And what are we supposed to be doing? Our purpose is we're supposed to be shining as lights unto them. You know, the last eight months have been a testimony to this, has they not? That things have been getting more twisted and perverted and crooked. It seems like somebody's just pulled the sheet right off, right? Flip the light on and boy, look what's going on. All those works of evil. So it's, 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 it's out there, you know? Um, sad to say, but uh, we live in a generation where fornication is right, adultery is right, homosexuality is right, lying is right, cheating is right. Everything else is right except the word of God. And that's the generation that we are living in. And we are to be shining as lights in this twisted and crooked uh, generation and so the whole culture has deviated from God's plan. They've, uh, they haven't stayed on the path. They've become twisted and distorted. And so knowing how perverse and crooked this generation, and we're living in the midst of it, what are we supposed to be doing? What are we, what are we called to be doing? We're supposed to be shining as lights. And so we are children of God is what he says. He says, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do you get the connection here? Do you get the point? Do you see what he's saying? Since you are children of God, you have to shine. That's your, that's your purpose. That's our, that's our calling in life. We have to shine. We have to live this way. Uh, be what you are, shine as lights. And so what he's simply saying is you live in a dark universe and you're the only the light that the world has. That's it. My uh, sister-in-law lives out in uh, Ohio, kind of out in the country. And it's been a long time since I've seen this uh, type of sky. Uh, but she lives like out in the boonies, out in the sticks. And... Uh, we were out there one evening and it was a clear, clear uh, night. And you could see a lot of the stars, but how bright and clear. And you saw the Milky Way. I mean, just the whole thing. And it was fascinating to see that. And you know, you think about this, we as believers were living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And we're supposed to be shining as lights. Our light is supposed to be bright. It's supposed to be visible. We should be shining. You know, you got that song, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, right? Hide it under a bushel, no. Don't let Satan blow it out. I think another verse that we could add to there is don't complain, right? I want you to see the connection here, okay? If we are to be shining as lights, what do you think happens when we complain? What do you think happens to our light? Doesn't shine as bright as it should. And so this is, this is so important to get because if we are to be living this way and we're to be the light of God, children of God in a crooked and twisted perverse generation, when we complain, we actually diminish that light. 
We're not living up to what we're called to be doing. And it's a reflection on what we believe about who God is and how we trust God and what God says in his word. So Jesus said it this way in the Sermon of the Mount. He says, you are the light of the world. And so we are a vessel in which the light of God has been poured into. And so we gotta allow that light to shine. Second Corinthians 4, 6, Paul put it this way. He says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we can now see how our light has the ability to shine forth the goodness of God, the grace of God, the salvation of God. And that's why it's so important that we don't complain. Uh, turn with me very briefly over here to Ephesians. Uh, just a couple pages right over, okay? Ephesians chapter five. Look at verse number eight. We have a very good reminder about what we used to be and what we are now. Ephesians 5, eight. And he says this, he says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Then look at verse number nine. He says, for the fruit of light, the fruit of light, what is that? The fruit of light is goodness and righteousness and truth. That's what he says, for the fruit of life is found that all that is good and right and true. Verse number 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so our light shines in the things that we do as believers. Our light shines in our deeds, and our light will shine by us not complaining about what God is doing in our lives. And so... Because we are children of God, that light impacts people. And so it's our responsibility to shine as lights in this crooked and twisted generation. And we have been called to be light in the very dark world. And so that's why we can understand why Paul says here, don't complain, don't live this way, because we are supposed to be lights. We're supposed to be shining in that dark and perverse, crooked generation. And so a murmuring, discontent, grumbling, griping, complaining Christian is never going to have a positive influence on others. You can't be talking about the gospel, forgiveness, joy, peace, gladness, comfort, and all in the same line, but also be moaning and complaining, grumbling all the time. Because when we complain, it diminishes that light. So not only what we are, but look at this, what he also, he says, he says, by what you say, look at verse number 16. He says, holding fast to the word of life. Other translations, which I like the other translation reading better, it says, holding forth the word of life. The idea is that we're, we're holding it out. So here we are as lights, but here we are holding out the word of life. 
It's not just so much of how we're living, but it also has a lot to do with what we're saying. And what are we saying? We're holding out the word of life. We're giving the life transforming message of the gospel, telling people that they need to repent of their sin and believe in Christ as the only salvation. And so that's what we're supposed to be doing. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 says that uh, people are dead in their trespasses and sins. And so if they're dead, what do they need? Life. What does a dead man need? Life. Okay? And so we hold out the word of life, the only transforming uh, message. And so we're supposed to stop grumbling. Paul says, stop complaining, stop arguing with God, obey God joyfully, work out this salvation that he is working in you. Have the right attitude. Don't grumble and complain about it. Why? Because there are people that are watching what's going on in your life. I mean, just think about it. Just think about it on your job where you work, right? Think about your family members that don't know Christ. And when they hear of, of God doing something in your life, of how maybe God has brought something into your life that might be tragic or hard or difficult, God is uh, doing some things in your life. And when we grumble and complain, uh, it diminishes the light of what God has, uh, has placed in there so that we could be a witnessing uh, light to the lost generation that's around us. So shine as a light. Here's the last thing. Remember the day of Christ is coming. So remember the day of Christ is coming. That phrase we've seen before, remember? Uh, it takes us all the way back over here to uh, Philippians chapter one and uh, verses six and 10. He says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, verse number 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And so as we look forward to the day of Christ, when I see Christ and I receive my reward, Paul says this, I will have cause to glory or better cause to rejoice. And why? Because I know that I did not run in vain. Because look what he says, holding fast to the word of life so that in that day or in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And uh, Paul is talking about this running, this, uh, this idea of, of competition. It's almost like a stadium, Right? And he's running a race and he's saying, look, I toiled, I, I, I put in hard, the hard work, I disciplined my body because I know that at the day of Christ, I would have neither labored nor toiled in vain. And Paul says, I wanna get to the end of it. I wanna see Christ and know that none of the tremendous effort that I put forward in all of this was for nothing. Now, what's interesting here is I want you to notice what Paul says. Look at uh, verse number 15, that you may be blameless. And then he says, uh, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And then he switches. Then he says, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud. Why the switch? How come he didn't say, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, you may be proud that you did not run in vain or labor in vain. Why the switch, Paul? He's talking to him and saying, live this way, don't complain. You're gonna be shining his lights. He's giving them commands, but then he switches and he says that I 
may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Why the switch, Paul? I want to share something with you. I think it could be very helpful to you. I believe Paul here was looking at this and saying, you know what? Here I am, I've labored with you all. I've planted this church. I've spent time with you. I've given myself to you. I'm trying to teach you and instruct you and help you grow in Christ. He says, this is my life goal. Whether I live or whether I die, it's all for Christ. Uh, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's been on that theme. And I believe he's trying to help them understand that if they take Paul's words to heart, then it's actually gonna help Paul in the end. That he knows that, look, I didn't labor in vain for you because I know what you're living like. I know how you're living. Think of every spiritual leader that you've had in your life, different churches, uh, different types of uh, situations and how they instructed you and taught you and tried to teach you and how our attitude is in reflecting that really is gonna reflect on, I believe, how we're gonna view our day of Christ at the judgment seat of Christ to know that I did not labor in vain for you. And so when we grumble and we gripe and we complain, it starts to make us wonder, should I be doing this? Should I be giving myself for people? Should I actually be living my life and giving myself for you? And Paul says, look, that I did not labor in vain for you. That I know that I gave everything that I had for you. And so don't complain for the sake of your spiritual leaders in life. Don't complain. He says, look, if you obey this command, I'll be happy in the day of Christ and I'll look back at my life and I'll say it wasn't in vain. You know, there's nothing that gives me greater joy, greater joy to hear how God is at work in somebody's life. When I hear that they get it, that I hear that, man, I'm grasping this, I'm understanding this, I'm understanding how God is supposed to be at work in my life and I'm obeying it and I'm following through. There's nothing greater to hear that. It gives me such great joy to hear about those types of things. And so Paul here, I believe, has the same idea. He says, uh, I want, to, want you to know that it's gonna help me in the end to know that I have not labored in vain. And so the best thing you could ever do for your spiritual leaders and all of those who lead you uh, here, wherever you are, wherever you go in life, the best thing that you could ever do for them is to live out everything they ever taught you so that when they get to glory, they could look back and they could say, it was not in vain. It was not in vain. First Thessalonians 5.12 says this, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Hebrews 13.17 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you in the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Third John, uh, verse number four, John wrote, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear of my children walking in love. And so the greatest joy of any servant of God is the obedience of their flock, to hear how God is working and moving in their life and they're obeying the word and they're not griping and complaining about what God is doing in their life. 
And so really, I believe there's also another emphasis with this, not only in Paul's life, but I believe it should be for your life as well. Run your race well. Because at the end of all of life, right, like you wanna make sure that you ran your race well. I don't think anybody wants to be on their deathbed with regrets. Regret, I should have done more. Regret, I should have did this. I should have done that. And so if you are not living your race, running your race well, right now, maybe what you should be doing is start doing it. Right now. Not tomorrow. Don't put it off, but do it now. And live your life well. Run your race well. And look what the emphasis is there. That I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Running and laboring. Boy, those are tough things, aren't they? But it takes work. It takes discipline. That's what we're called to do. We're called to die to self, to die to, and we're supposed to carry our cross, take up your cross and follow Christ. And that's what God calls for us to do. And so I want to help you, you know, when you're tempted to complain, remember, remember your purpose. How many of you complained this week? How many of you were like, ah, and maybe your spouse was like, I want to help you. I want to help you grow in Christ. So let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.